Good morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to do the chapter this morning and close out this study of 1 Peter. We'll be going into 2 Peter as our next book. Before we get into, before I ask you to stand to read the Bible, read the word, I want to let you know that Carl Schultz, um, and many of you probably have seen him if you don't know him, uh, he uh, went to be with the Lord yesterday. And so if you just be praying for Lynn Ann, who's here first service, and just that process. He was 74, I believe, and loved the Lord, uh, was a, what I would call a hardcore evangelist. <laughs> he would be preaching all the time. So uh, he is in a much better place. He was battling cancer for two to three years, so he is now with the Lord. And I'm seeing Carol McGinnis here. Her husband, Scott, went to be with the Lord on my birthday, actually, May 17th. So, yeah, so uh, we're praying for you also as we, as we uh, you know, how many years, 50? 51 and a half years of marriage. That's a long time. But he knew the Lord also. And so we're going to have eternity as the bride of Christ. Amen. So would you stand in honoring the word of God this morning? 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm going to read the chapter. I ask you to read along with me. I use the New King James Version. Uh, whatever you might have um, just give you little nuances in different ways, but I'm going to read from the New King James. And then when i done reading, we'll do a responsive reading through Psalm 29, uh, which we're going to talk about the glory of God this morning, which is a fascinating, very huge topic. I hope I can at least do some uh, encouragement for you living for the glory of God. So 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you. Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, it's probably Silas, I have written to you briefly, exhorting you. There it is again. I exhort you, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, now some think that might be referring to his wife. Most would, would say he's referring to the church itself. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son, Mark, from whom we got the gospel of Mark, John Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. 
peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The psalm I've chosen to start, we're going to do another one at the end, has to do with the glory of God. And so I want us to read this responsibly. I'll read the odd and first, the first and odd verses. You follow in the second and even verses. Here we go. Psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. All together, verse 11. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You didn't have to do that. You did it. You did it in the most profound way we could ever consider when Jesus came into this world and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. So I pray now, Lord, that you would bless our considering, meditating on, taking to heart your word, that you might bring forth fruit in our lives. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We honor your word, Lord. We stand in honoring it. We read it. We hear it. And Lord, every time it's you who speaks to us. And we are thankful for that. We're thankful for the power of the word of God. We're thankful for the light of the word of God. We're thankful for the truth in which we are set free. So give us ears to hear, I pray. And Lord, even as Peter said, we have this adversary. We know that the adversary is the father of lies. So we want to hear your word, hear the truth, and as we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And I would ask, Lord, that you would, anyone here that has yet to come to acknowledging their sin and and repenting and coming to you through the gospel to receive Christ, Lord, that's not our job, that's yours. You said you'd send the Holy Spirit. So to anyone that's here and doesn't know you, we are praying, we're interceding, we're asking, as we go into your word now, you'd speak to them of your great love and your great glory. So we love you, Lord. Pray your blessing now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So this word glory, in the Old Testament, it means heaviness or weight, which is referring to importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, one word, it's doxa. And this word has three senses to it. It's where we get our word doxology from. It speaks of the brightness and splendor, the splendid brightness and radiance of God's own presence. So when you think of glory, we probably think of that somewhat. The glory of God, the shining radiance of God, his presence and brightness. It also has the idea of great power and strength. So God's powerful presence in action. Amen. That's Jesus coming just for, to cap it off. God's powerful presence in, in action. God just doesn't talk and say, he has done these things for us and they are powerful. He came 
to dwell with us and tabernacle with us. That is powerful, but how much more when in like this, pre- this glory that's coming, we're going to be living in the presence of God in action. And then the final one is majesty and honor, which has to do with the majesty in his position. He is glory. He's the highest of all things. So John 1.14, I prayed it. Let's say it again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, we saw God. Now, is that absolutely incredible or what? The glory of God in flesh and blood. Hebrews chapter 1, another amazing four verses. God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in his last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Now, this is glory here, okay? Through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the exact image, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, When he had by himself, this is incredible. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And everyone said, glory to God. Did we have anything to do with that? The only part we had was we needed it. We needed for God to do this in his glory, to see in ma- the manifestation of his glory, because sin turned out the light of that glory. And God came in. So here's my, a little bit of something I, I'm trying to, I'm thinking this thing through, to put this in words a little bit of what I'm thinking as I think through this area of living for the glory of God. A Christian shares in the glory of God. The goal towards which the Christian life moves is that of a greater and greater joy in the presence of holy God by partaking of his glory. That's a mouthful, I get it. I'm still working on it, okay? Psalm 24, which we're going to read responsibly at the end of the study. Lift up your head, O you gates. Lift Lift up you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. And the reason that ministers to me is because that's what happens when we receive the gospel. We open up our hearts and the king of glory comes in. And we are saved by faith, by grace through faith. God actually comes, resides in our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. And we experience the glory of God. Glory describes the activity of a person, as we responsibly read, worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's the glory. So three things as a sort of template. The coming glory that will be revealed. Say amen. The coming glory that will be revealed. Peter talks about that, verse 1. In this verse 1, he gives us an exhortation. I exhort you. The end of the epistle also. It's an exhortation. I exhort you. So there's an exhortation in verse 1. Secondly, the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, what Peter's going to address here is motivation. What's the motivation of our hearts? 
Do we have the same shepherd heart that God has for us? And that's the glory of God, that he shepherds us, he loves us, he cares about us, he guides us. So what's the motivations in our hearts? What God is doing is, the exhortation is to having the heart of a shepherd. The third is the call to eternal glory by Christ Jesus. This, what we're going to talk about here a little bit this morning, is the opposition to living for the glory of God. We have an adversary. He's called the devil and Satan, the prince of this world, the God of this age. We have opposition to the glory of God. We have opposition for in, our, in our battle, as someone was praying, we have a spiritual battle going on, and the devil is in opposition to the glory of God. So the coming glory that will be revealed, here's the exhortation. I exhort you, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter, get this, you know it, but it's just... It's so fun just to say it. We are reading a letter that was written by a man, Peter, a fisherman, who walked with Jesus. I mean, we're talking flesh and blood. We're talking crying together, laughing together. And, you know, and Peter was there with Jesus. He walked with him. He knew him. He experienced the glory of God in flesh and blood personally. So Peter refers to himself though, as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd, a fellow, fellow overseer. He didn't say, he didn't call himself Pope Peter the first. Yeah. You can say that again, Rick. Yeah. yeah. And God help us. Neither are we the Pope. In fact, you know, Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, had a what? Yeah. I say Peter, Peter, humble pie eater. And he talks about that all the way, humble, humble, humble. You see, to know the glory of God is to understand the magnificent majesty of humility. Because God humbled himself. And Peter talks about humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Why would God do that? I'll tell you, because he is glorious in his love for you and for me. Glorious. Peter was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, this is deep, brothers and sisters. Peter said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I mean, they will, I'm probably, I mean, but not me? No way. And Jesus said, Before the cock crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And there's Peter. His love for Jesus needed some work. But let me tell you, it didn't need a reality. It was real. He loved Jesus. And so he witnessed his suffering firsthand. He was in the courtyard with John, seeing what's going on. He has the girl, little girls come up and say, uh, you knew him, your accent denies you. Oh, no, no, three times. No, 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 no. He said, may I be accursed if I do know him. I mean, he swore up and down one side and the other, denying Jesus. The third time he did it, I just ruined the story. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's one of the most profound little verses in the Bible for me. Because he denies him. 
And all Jesus had to do was turn a little bit. Now, he's being tried. He's being crucified. He's suffering. He saw the sufferings of Christ. And Jesus looks at him. That's all he did. Looks at him. And Peter was a broken man. A good broken man. A sincere broken man. A loving Jesus kind of man. But it's as though Jesus saying to him, I know you. I know you. I know you. And you know, when God gets to that depth in our hearts in knowing those kinds of things, that's the best brokenness you'll ever experience. It's the brokenness of the glory of the love of God. That's what happened to Peter. So he's in that courtyard. He denies him. Peter witnesses suffering on the cross. He saw it. He lived it. And this exhortation is coming from that. It's not coming, well, I'll tell you what to do. And by the way, let me, let me explain exhortation, the gift of exhortation, if I might, for a moment. It's not this idea that someone, you know, he sort of calls you out and then turns around and walks away. That's not the gift of exhortation at all. The gift of exhortation is when someone gives to you. They can see what God has called you to. They can see the calling, the giftings, the potential of what God sees for your life. And they'll call you to it and then walk with you in getting in that direction. That's the gift of exhortation. That someone in your life comes along at some point and is able to speak into your life what they see God has called you to, called to do. And then they get alongside you and they, get, they help you get in the right direction. I'll tell you, Pastor Robert Case, a very close friend of ours, he gave me this gift of exhortation when it came to planting Calvary Chapel South. It was kind of, if I was put it, his way, his, his idea. I often tell people the Lord tricked me into it. Because Robert saw that. He said, you, you teach, I'll do worship. And that's how it started. And he said, I, and so that set the path. Set the, and this is, this is what Peter's doing. He's saying, I know this shepherd God. I know, I've experienced, I understand very deeply what he went through. I understand very deeply his restorative powers in my life. And I can see that for you. So I exhort you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Where did that happen? On the Mount of Transfiguration. There he was. There's Peter, James, and John. Jesus said, come on up the mountain, boys. They get up there. And what happened up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus shined like a light. He saw Jesus in glory. And Moses and Elijah are with him on that mountain. Peter saw that. What did Peter do? He didn't know what to say. You know, it's always a little bit embarrassing when you don't know what to say, but you say something anyway. Peter says, well, let's just make three tabernacles and we just stay here. And the light, the glory, Moses and Elijah disappear. And there's Jesus said, and his voice comes. 
from, well, let's go to first and second Peter, because Peter, he talks about this testimony again. Second Peter, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And what did the voice say? Listen. Hear <laughs> to Peter. Peter, just, it, it's okay. Just listen. And Peter was a listener as well as a talker. So what were they talking about? The cross. Now you'd think if that was you, hey, let's talk about the glory. Well, the cross is the glory of God. And they're talking about his, his soon decease in Jerusalem. That's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're laying out the plan, if you will, that's already been laid out. And that's what they're talking about. Now, why do they do that? Why, why did that even happen? Because Jesus wanted Peter to see the glory that's coming. He wanted Peter to understand there's a cross that's coming. And James and John. And we are on the other side of that happening. And here we are, we can talk in hindsight about the glory of God and what he accomplished. And Peter himself is now testifying to this fantastic thing he had in relationship with Jesus Christ, where Jesus actually took, the, took him into these places of failure, and weakness, and glory. In order that he might know, and Peter might write this to us, I exhort you. I want, to, I want you to experience those same things. I want you to know this is what God has in store for your life. For my life, his exhortation, 12 times, we're not going to read them, but 12 times, Peter says, glory. Well, you know what? We're going to read them. You okay with that? I got them up here. This is through 12 times. I just want to read through them. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I, I put that, we're going to read that. Because I just wanted to get a feel. Peter knew the glory of God. He writes about it continuously. His second epistle, he starts with it and he opens and closes with it. The glory of God. The grace of God. Where, where am I? Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them, the prophets, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Because all flesh, now here's our glory. We don't, we don't get to contribute a whole lot here. All flesh is as grass, and the, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fa falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What word is that? This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Hey, our glory is fading at best. We're just a little hint of something, but the glory of God through the gospel is ours that endures forever. Next. Having your conduct honorable in all the Gentiles, remember this is 1 Peter, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God. They have visited. In other words, our lives are bringing people to the glory of God. Here we go again. 
If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so as with the ability which God supplies. We looked at that last week. That in all things, or two weeks ago, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom belong the glory and the dominion and the dominion forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Let me stop a moment. Paul said to the Romans, I am persuaded that sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed with the glories which shall be revealed in us. Whatever we're going through right now, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. The Christian shares in the glory of God. We live for the glory of God. So the elders who are among you, I exhort. So sufferings was, this exhortation comes out of seeing Christ suffering. This exhortation comes out of seeing Jesus in glory. Here's the one that we, we already hit. But this, this exhortation comes from someone who knew the restorative power of the love of God in his life through Jesus Christ. He knew it. He lived through it. Did I already talk about that? Okay, thank you. Charlotte kind of keeps track because I lose my mind, okay? <laughs> do it once and I go, did I do it? Here's the deal. I love this story. I could actually quote it if I had a couple minutes to redo myself on it. In John chapter 21. Here's Peter. He denies the Lord. Weeps bitterly. Jesus is dead three days. He's be- beside himself in grief. Rises from the dead, appears to them, but Peter, he's lost something along the way and is so discouraged. He says, I'm going fishing. I know how to do that. (laughs) In fact, that's how Jesus called him. Well, at least he thought he knew how to do that. So six other disciples go with him. They get in the boat, and that night, what happened? They caught nothing. I love this story for this point. So then in the morning, here Jesus is on the shoreline. says, uh, fellas, did you catch anything? And I think Peter's are going, who is this guy? No. Well, cast your net on the other side of fish and you'll find some. On the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Oh, man. Well, so they cast the net. Just like in the beginning. And now the net is so full, they can hardly haul it in. And John on the boat says, "Uh, that's him. (laughs) It's the Lord. What happened? Well, the other guys stay on the boat because, man, when you're a fisherman, you get that many fish. You're not just going to let the net go. But Peter puts on his outer clothing. He dives into the water, and he's swimming for sure. He can't wait to get to Jesus. So he gets to shore. And here come the men in the boat, and they drag the net to land, and there's Jesus, a fire going, coal set, some bread on it. He says, bring some of the fish. So Peter goes, right now, gets the net, drags the whole thing, 100-something fish, 153, I think. He just loves Jesus. Keep that in mind. He loves him. 
But he had failed in what he thought he would never fail. He failed miserably. He was grieving miserably. He's on the boat. He didn't care about catching fish. He just wanted to get it right with God in that sense. And so the fish goes on. And then when they were done eating, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, makes me cry thinking about it. Do you love me more than these? Now, what's, he, what's Jesus pointing to? We don't know, but it could be the disciples because Peter said, you know, they're all might, but not me. Do you love me more than these? Really, you don't have. Or it could be the fish. Do you love me more than the fish? Now, the word he used is important. Many of you know this, but let me say it again if you don't know it. The word used in the Greek is agape. Unconditional, unselfish love. Do you love me, Peter, with without no strings attached, if you will. Peter answered him, Lord, you know that I, different word, phileo you. See, Peter is coming to a place where he's, he's understanding the importance when you're asked a question by God, it's good to answer it honestly. And just say, here's what it is. Here's where I'm at. He, he, he had come to a place where he's no longer boasting. He's like, Lord, you know that I phileo you. What did Jesus say? Tend my sheep. Shepherd them. It's as though Jesus is saying, my heart for you hasn't changed at all. I'm, I'm shepherding you. I love you. Yes, I knew all those things. And I, when I chose you, I knew all those things. And so he's, he's loving on Peter. Everybody says, then get to work. So he said to him a second time, a Simon son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me? Not more than these, just do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said, tend my lambs. Shepherd them. Take care of my people, Peter. To that you are called. Then he said to him a third time, "Uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? You know what a dagger that was to the heart of Peter? And he says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? He said, Lord, you know all things. What a great place to be. You know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, then feed my sheep, Peter. You're the man. You're the one I chose. You're my disciple. And I've called you to shepherd my people, to care for them, tend them, feed them. That hadn't changed. You see, God knows the raw material he's working with for all of us. And then he said to him, Most assured I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wanted to. But when you are old, he didn't say older, he said old. How many are old here? (laughs) When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. We'll pick up here, verse 19. 19. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, this I love about Peter. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper. That's John. And said, Lord, who is the one betrayed you? Peter seen and said to Jesus, uh, but Lord, what about this man? Peter's restored. Okay, that's what they, what about him? He's back at it. Jesus said to him, if I will, he remain till I come. What's that to you? You follow me. See, that's the key to the restorative power of God in our lives, to the glory of how God's love can so take a faulty, broken man and restore him to the place where he just has to say, don't worry about it. you just follow me. 
Just follow me. What a glorious restoration Peter experienced. That's why in verse 2 now, he's exhorting them to shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. Care for them. Tend them. That's what I'm calling you to do, Peter. I'm telling you. That's the most encouraging thing in the Bible that we might read as people. How many of you have made your boasts, at least in your mind, of what you'd never do? And then you do it. Paul the Apostle, the great powerful Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 7, said the things that I hate, I'm doing. The things I hate, I'm practicing. And the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. How many of you would say, well, you wouldn't say amen. That's not a very good word for that. You see, when Paul met with the Ephesian elders, he said, shepherd the flock which is among you. For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. See, he had that understanding, Paul the Apostle, he had that understanding that God's people need tending and caring just as he, Paul, just as he, Peter, understood and received from Jesus himself. And that's always the source from which we care about people. We tend people. We watch over them. We should guide them and lead them. And you parents understand that very well. Grandparents understand that very well. We are all sheep. In fact, in the Bible, the sheep is used for people. Why is that? There's a lot of reasons, but let me give you just a couple. Sheep tend to flock together, but they also tend to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart taken. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Sheep are notoriously ignorant of danger. Duh. How are we doing? <laughs> By the way, sheep are smart. But sometimes they're stupid. <laughs> so sheep are notoriously ignorant of danger, and therefore sheep are defenseless without a shepherd. Brothers, that's you and me. Sisters, that's you and us. That's sheep. That's why God uses that. So it's important that we understand the shepherd heart of God and the responsibility we are given in shepherding people according to the heart of God whether it's our children, grandchildren, a church, a place of business, a friend. That heart that we understand now because we understand Jesus' heart for us. And so he says, shepherd the flock of God. So now he gets into these motivations. Our motivation serving as overseers is to serve. This is the heart of a shepherd. To serve, not seek to be served. Not by compulsion, but willingly. You see, the motivation of the shepherd heart of God is compassion, not grudging obligation. I'm serving the Lord. I'm sort of fancying up a little bit because I know that so much. The, The tendency without having God shepherding our hearts is we become these other things that are contrary to the shepherd heart of God. God has compassion on us. He looked at the, at the multitude and he said he had compassion because what? They were like sheep without a shepherd. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. You know, I actually shudder a little bit when I see some of these wealth and health type preaching. Or I see some of these men. I'll use men just 
I don't know, I mean, there probably are women too, but they're up there preaching some message to enhance their wallets. That is not the heart of God. Not to get rich at the expense of God's people. In fact, when Jesus was going through the courtyard of the temple, what happened? He makes up a whip of cords twice, beginning and end of his ministry. And he begins driving out the money changers, driving them out. Out of here! Because they're making a buck on people's desire to come to God and worship. And they were taking those, that hunger that's, net, that's innate in everyone creating the image of God to know God, to worship God, to learn about God, to come to God. And they were, before you get there, before you get there, I need something for my wallet. And I, I, my pastor, Chuck Smith, he just ingrained in me. It's never about money. It's never about getting rich. It's never about taking advantage of people hungry for God. No, it's to serve them and to have compassion for them. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. What's he saying to to Timothy? He's saying, you are never too young to be an example. Never. We can be an example to the believers. Jesus, when he was, on the last night when he was betrayed, he went, he girded himself. He knew that Satan put in the heart of Judas to betray him. He knew all that was coming. He knew what faced him. He took off his garment. He put, girded himself with a towel and he went out and he began to wipe the disciples' feet. And this is the Lord of glory. And Peter goes, you not, no way. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, have nothing to me. Peter said, okay, well, just not my feet, but everything. See, Peter loved him. Peter's the sort of the standout lover of Jesus, even though it was flawed in so many ways. But it was true. It was sincere. And Jesus went and washed him. He said, see what I've done to you? I've left you an example to serve each other, love each other, minister to each other as I have to you. And when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, Jesus, the chief shepherd, And when he appears, the crown of glory. He is the good shepherd who saves us, who went to the cross. He is the great shepherd. Listen, the great shepherd, you know what that deals with? That God is working in your life and he's going to finish it. Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everyone said? God's working in you and willing to do. That's the shepherd heart of God. To guide you and steer you in the right direction. He's the good shepherd on the cross. The crown of glory has three things attached to it. Number one, it's the crown of victory for an athlete in the games. So think a minute with me. Number one. Two, it's the crown of valor for a soldier. And three, it's the crown of celebration at a wedding. That's us, brothers and sisters. We are in a race. We're running a race with joy. We're in a battle. We fight against flesh and blood. We're battling against the adversary. We'll look at that in a moment just briefly. And we are going to have a wedding. 
We're the bride of Christ. He has that plan for us, and it will happen. It's going to happen. So you younger, be submissive to your, to your elders. All be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me tell you about the clothing of humility just from Peter. Here it is. This, this motivation that we have is because of the grace of God. He says that throughout. The grace of God is the motivation for us being transformed into the image of him who saved us. Here it is, 1 Peter. The clothing of humility is the grace of God. We are saved and sanctified by the grace of God. We are resting our hope fully upon the grace of God. Put this on as ours. We are heirs together, husband and wives, of the grace of God. We are stewarding by ministering the grace of God to one another. I'm going through 1 Peter. Put on the grace of God. We receive the grace of God. God gives grace to the humble. We receive the grace of God for all of our need for forgiveness, repentance. Listen, perfected, established, strengthened, and settled by the grace of God, giving us what we don't deserve. Finally, 1 Peter 5.12, we are standing in the true grace of God. That's the glory of God. A Christian shares in the grace of God. The goal towards which the Christian life moves is that of a greater and greater joy in the presence of holy God in partaking of the grace of God. Put either grace or glory there. And now this call will close here. We have an adversary. He is out. One motivation. To rob, kill, and destroy your life. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the good shepherd. Any others that come along, these false shepherds, Satan has come to devour. So it says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Our faith in the gospel, our faith in the glory of God, our faith in the grace of God, we resist the devil in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings, in other words, Peter's saying, I wasn't alone, and neither are you. We have a shepherd, and we have the flock. Jesus prayed for Peter. I prayed for you because the devil is asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. We have the opposition of Satan, and we have the opposition of suffering. How many of you want to suffer? Devil comes along, starts getting in dark places. Things are difficult. How many of you have been in those places recently? Something's going on. It's not pretty. It's not fun. It's painful. It's, it's even a dangerous thing. It's for a while. The opposition of suffering is for a while. It comes, and nobody's embracing that. But let me say to you, God has your best in mind all the time. Joseph put it this way, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. One of those profound verses in the whole Bible. This is our worship this morning. He is for us. He is for us. He is for That's not just something we have to, you know, sort of work out. It's true. 
If God be for us, who can be against us? I'll tell you who can be against us. The world's against us, our flesh is against us, and the devil is against us. But all those combined are no match for God who's for me. I am persuading life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, yeah, he is for you. And we have this opposition of the Satan. We have this opposition of suffering. But let me say to you, the glory that shall be revealed, the glory that's coming, is something that Peter wrote about because he lived it. He knew it. He wasn't just spouting off. He writes that one who experienced that walk with Jesus Christ that we all have. Yes, time. In fact, I was, I was sharing with someone yesterday. You know, you get in these dark places. You start the devil gets sort of condemning you and saying this and this. And as far as you know, yeah, there's these idle thoughts. Of, but as far as you know, you're not sinning against God blatantly. You know? and, I, and I was saying to this, this friend of mine, I said, you know, there's this process called sanctification that God takes us through. And in the sanctification process, he's not condemning us for what we're not. He's loving us for who we are. And so Paul and Raymond's Romans chapter 8 said, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. What does that point back to chapter 7? Where Paul said, I'm doing all these things. I hate what I'm doing. I, you know, why am I doing it? And then he said, he looked where he needed to look, and we all need to look. It's outside. Who shall deliver me? I'll tell you who. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation. If we're in the flesh and we're operating in the flesh, there will be. But in the spirit, we have been redeemed. We have become a part of his fold. He shepherds us. In fact, Revelation talks about he will shepherd them and wipe away every tear from their eye. That's ours through faith in the gospel in Jesus Christ. May the Lord encourage you as he has me. This glory of God is ours to experience in every facet of our lives. It includes all the things in our lives because God is present with us. A Christian shares in the glory of God. The goal toward which the Christian life moves is that of a greater and greater joy in the presence of holy God by partaking of his glory. So I want to close today, if you would stand in another responsive reading. It's Psalm 24. I quoted some of it already in the study, and then I want to pray, and the worship team can come out. So I'm going to read the odd, first and odd, you read the second and even. Here we go. It's a Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lift up your heads, O you gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of 
Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Lord, we want to worship you right now just for a, a final time. You are worthy of every ounce of our energies and praise and worship. You are the king of glory. There's none like you in all the earth. You are the one who showed us your glory in so many different ways, but most importantly, when Jesus came, we saw the express image. We saw who you are. We saw in his life the shepherd heart that you have for all of us, and we worship you, Lord. We worship you. We open up our hearts and say, come in fresh, O King of glory. Lord, I know your power and your presence and your radiance and know all these things, how you can restore lives, broken lives, because you're the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. So, Lord, we just bow our hearts right now in song, and we worship you to close this time.